Hello and welcome to Untitled Film Project Podcast. We're joined again talking about movies. After you see the movie, come hang out with your friends and we'll talk about it together. We're talking about the Transformers latest live action, the seventh one, Rise of the Beasts in theaters now. And we also have a big question for today. Which is... Transformers was an animated show in the 80s. I think we all remember that to some degree. What was your favorite animated slash cartoon, which is probably the same thing, show growing <laughs> up? Whatever era you come from, that's whatever your favorite show is that was animated, that's what we want to know. The Beast Shall Rise. First with initial takes on the movie. So this is Jim, and I think that if uh, you like Transformers movies, you are going to get exactly what you want. If you don't care for Transformers movies, and you think they're just a bunch of robots punching each other for two and a half hours, <laughs> feels like five, you will probably not like this movie. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot. So that's my initial take on Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Jeremy K. Gover. Oh, that was a quick, quick I like it. take. I like it. Um, <laughs> my initial take is kind of similar to Jim's, okay? <clears throat> is it possible to have a lot going on while having nothing happening? That is my initial take for Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Yes, I say. I, <laughs> I know it was probably a rhetorical question. It but was, but that's okay. That's it. Bradford. I... I like I should have timed that. That was less than a minute for initial takes. Like I didn't realize it was supposed to be quick We're initial not going takes. For a record, just so everybody, just so everybody knows. I We're know. not trying to have like the fastest episode of all time. We just uh, I'll all save. of my points are deeper dives. Yeah. So I don't want to open up a can of worms early. So I'm oh, just like you typically open cans of worms in your ratings. Yes, I'm trying to get are you, better. Are you actually going to do it during the deep dive and you know, not when you're giving your score? About, there's a thing about your self-improvement, Bradford, and I'm trying to get better based I'm on... I'm glad you recognize it, because I've seen improvement for you for a while. Good <laughs> job. Am I supposed to take, I, 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 to take that? Yeah, this, there's right. a... Bradford, what are your initial takes, sir? My initial takes. Moving on awkwardly. As he pulls back the back of his hand <laughs> from the compliment he just gave. Yeah. yeah. My initial take... <laughs> I was entertained. Is it a fantastic movie? No, absolutely not. Is it way better than almost every other Transformers movie? Yes, because Michael Bay was not directing it. <laughs> and he produced it, though. He produced it. Well, he got producing But credits. his hands were over. Yeah, right. Yeah. The money was there for Michael Bay, but right. that was it. And you could tell sure. that I believe this film got more back to what fans wanted from Transformers movies because, one, there weren't as many d jokes. <laughs> there weren't as many balls jokes. Balls. There weren't as many there weren't as many things like that happening in this movie where they're forced humor. There was there was that, but it's not from what we saw in every single Transformers movie aside from the first one and Bumblebee. Bumblebee was good. That was a really good exploration of Bumblebee. The character, Haley Steinfeld, is fantastic in it as well. The first Transformers just rubbed that nostalgia in a way that people wanted, and it was fine. Still way too much, you know, lens flare. But Compared to all the other ones in between, this one was so much better for me because I feel like they, they the director put little bits of Easter eggs in there. They made Optimus Prime actually look like he could be a truck. There was so much more into this, and I think they were able to explore that more more concisely because it was not set in the time after the other Transformers movies. They didn't have that that 
brick of a plot. They were constrained. They were constrained. The they put it back yeah. in 1994, which allowed for fun with music, allowed yes. for fun with the story, allowed for so much more fun and ease of things to reintroduce these characters, and also allow for the Transformers, the Autobots, to recognize and feel like what they need to be on Earth. Because it wasn't about becoming uh, a new planet or getting back home. It was about, we'll protect all humans, become partners with them and allies. So I like that exploration more, instead of having to build off these gregarious, erroneous, ridiculous plots from the other movies. That's why I enjoyed it. It's one of those summer blockbusters that they're aiming for. Turn your brain off, enjoy the nostalgia, have some popcorn, enjoy big bad robots bashing each other in fights. Exactly. And that's that's what I feel like they accomplish at least that part of they achieve just that. summer action movie. Doesn't have to have a deep plot or anything like that. Big boom. And I saw it in Dolby, so my seat was shaking the entire oh, time. That would help. I enjoyed that. It helps that experience. This is supposed to be an experiential that movie of action. That kept me awake a couple of times. Right. Oh, so, again, foreshadow. Not, not a fantastic movie, <laughs> but when you compare it to all these other Michael Bay ones, I enjoyed it way more because I feel like it got back to what Transformers is supposed to be based on what fans expect and want out of it. Fair enough. All right, so let's explore a little bit more of the Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Uh, Probably, I will admit, uh, I think the best one since the Bumblebee movie. Uh, this, th- these are seven movies, and you know, this is there's a lot to draw from here. Uh, there's a lot in this movie. Uh, they threw everything. In this movie, uh, we have the Maximals, which is, you know, the mechanical animal beasts. And we have, of course, you know, our, all of our regulars. Let's talk about uh, the people that at the movie I was at, the audience cared the least about, which was humans, because they came there <laughs> for robots. Uh, Anthony Ramos playing Noah, uh, I thought is a very likable guy. I like him as an actor. I think he's uh, really good. I mean, if you've seen Into the Heights or uh, Hamilton, you know, just there's everything he does, he, I think he brings a certain quality to. Uh, he's not given much. This is a robot movie. Um, I did think they were setting him up for what will be... Failure. Not say, oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. A Razzie. Wow. Uh, just for being in it. Um, no, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll get into what they are setting up, uh, you know, in future franchise films in the Hasbro universe. Sure. Hasbroverse. The HU. Hasbroverse. That's good. That's good. Do they actually use that? Uh, no, I use Copyright it. Justin Bradford. On no, 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 no. I'm podcast. sure it's all over the place. Okay. Do, do not give me credit okay. for that. All right. You just have to add verse to end of it. Like, I the, know that. Like in Spider-Man, across Spider-Verse, right. like Spider-Verse. Oh, that's stupid. <laughs> is what right. Miguel O'Hara but, said. But, you, but yeah. you may be the first. I doubt. So, all all right. Right. Well, Anyways. If, if you are, they owe you a check. <laughs> <laughs> Presets. <laughs> Michael May. Uh, you know, I think uh, the, the humans really were kind of extraneous, a little bit of barely even needed. Uh, the only reason they were able to bring them into the third act of the film was there were spaces that robots couldn't climb into. Oh, yeah, we need little people to get into there, you know what I mean? <laughs> or we have a touch screen that's going to you know, try to stop the big bad from destroying Earth, but it's also you know, human-sized. But at least with Anthony Ramos's character, this is an at least, so not trying to fully defend it. At least they gave him something to fight for. Yes. Compared to other humans and other Transformers movies, there weren't as much. There wasn't as much connection of why do you need to save Earth? Well, he's fighting for his brother, who yeah. is dealing with with 
uh, sickle cell. Sickle and, cell. Yeah. So yep. they gave him a reason to fight for. Is that enough? I'm not sure on that one, but at least even more than Shia LaBeouf's character. Yeah. Of having no no other re- so, what? I like Shia LaBeouf's character. That's the best Shia LaBeouf movie there is. Uh-oh. I think. <laughs> what I'm saying is, there's a reason for him to defend Earth, not just my family's connected to this because of the, the glasses. Right. He's fighting for Megan Fox, <laughs> who ends up dumping him. Well. <laughs> We've all had, and then he gets another us. hottie. <laughs> that he fought for. At least the motivation was understood, and yeah. that's why Michael Bay, the Michael Bay films were a problem, though. Yeah. At least you didn't have this where they're just no argument there. going for straight up booty I'm and breast s- shots. I'm simply defending. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we live in a different time, though, too. One hundred percent. In 2007, when that came out, that was. I mean, it was. Peak. Oh, I get it, okay. but I, I, I feel like I liked how they focus on human characters of having a little bit more development. Like you have someone that's working in a museum that actually has intelligence. Yeah, it's behind too her bad as well. they wasted it on it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, of I course, mean, I agree. The script. I mean, the the dialogue they gave Dominic Fishback, who plays Elena. You know. I, I, they could have done so much with it. Like, here's this like really smart person who's figured all these things out, and really all they gave her for dialogue was uh, exposition. If you right. fell asleep during the movie and you didn't really know what the stakes were for the next uh, five minutes, she would say it with her dialogue. And I thought that like, wow, that's kind of a waste. And there was character. no redeeming part of that too. Like the whole, the whole her her origin story, if you will, is that she's an intern or some sort of part time employee. Doesn't get any credit yeah. for being the smart person behind the person taking credit, taking credit for it. Right. Yeah. So that would have been nice at the end, even if it was that person bringing her coffee or yeah. making sure, like, you look great. She was on TV and the, though. Right, so, but there was no direct correlation between how she. G- My point is, I'm trying to help. I this think you're movie. expecting too much. <laughs> I'm trying to help this movie way too much. <laughs> I was, I was about to say. The point is, is that there was no payoff of that story arc, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there were five freaking writers on this project, that, that which I'm going to get to in my deeper dive. Go ahead. Whoever, whoever was going. <laughs> Jim was rolling. Oh, well, I, I will say, okay, uh, you know, I, I have foreshadowed some real harsh criticism, yes. you know, and that is coming. But I'm going to say some of the things <laughs> that I think that they did well. Uh, one of the things, I, the effects were actually quite good. Yes. There was there was very few spots where I saw like, oh, mm, they, they kind of, you know, cheated out a little bit on that. Visually, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I think the soundtrack helped this movie so much. Okay, well, let's go into the soundtrack since you did bring that up, and especially yeah. with Gover, mm-hmm. who is a resident hip-hop expert yeah. as well. I'm an amateur hip hop historian. <laughs> amateur hip hop historian. I, but there's passion there. That's how I apply for games. So we got Wu- <laughs> <laughs> amateur hip hop. We got Wu Tang. We got Nas. We got LL Cool J. Notorious B.I.G. A movie aside, Gover, okay. what did you think about the, the soundtrack for this film? Diggable Planets, Cool Like That has never sounded better. That music in the '90s was all the rage. It was the crossover hit of mm-hmm. that era. Okay. But it was a one-hit wonder. They never really did anything else of, of note, okay? So we've heard it all before. We've heard it on great sound systems. We've heard it in movies, I'm sure. Like, all these things. But in that movie, the whatever they did with it, they dropped the rest of the score out. Whatever it was, it's never sounded better. It was I was bobbing my head in the theater to a song that's 30 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, the, Wu-Tang was great, the way they brought that in. Mama said, "Knock you out." I, yeah, and that it, was it remix too. Yeah, that was that was good, cheesy. I think a little bit, which is a common theme in this movie. But I think overall, it served its purpose. It was great. At least it was was it, here. At least it wasn't Beastie Boys again, like oh, we've seen true. in two movies already. That's sure, true. which I don't mind. I love that song. I know, I know but, you do. 
<laughs> so for me, the, the, I think the soundtrack was great. There was just nothing special about it, meaning that while it was awesome and it got it kept me engaged, I think to Jim's point, I didn't think about it like that, like mm-hmm. whether it would increase or decrease my score, but I, you're absolutely right. I think it would. It kept me engaged in the movie long enough to, <clears throat> excuse me, long enough to care. But I could have put that playlist together. As an amateur hip-hop historian, I never thought I'd actually work that back in, but I was able to. <laughs> As an amateur hip-hop historian, I, w- I would have been able to come up with this. Hey, we need 16 songs that are going to play in this movie that's set in the mid-90s. What do you give us? I could have come up with probably 85% of the songs they came up with. And the other ones you probably came up with would have been just as good as the ones that they is, used. That's correct. So there's nothing special about it. They could have got an everyday average hip-hop, amateur hip-hop historian to come up with that track list. <laughs> That doesn't mean it was bad. It just means that there's nothing special about it. Well, yeah. I think that one of the reasons probably is because general audience, too. So they're going for most recognizable for sure. songs, right? Uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Crowd pleasers. For yeah, sure. Crowd, no, they definitely I, well, were crowd pleasers. Okay, so I will say that, that that's very true. <clears throat> but to that point, there's an SWV song in there. Right. He has an SWV poster on his wall, mm-hmm. and that is an outside-the-box Edition. So as much as I'm blasting sure. them for a kind of a cliche set list, that one's pretty great because it was a huge hit in the, in the early 90s, for sure. SWV, Sisters with Voices, for those who don't know. Oh, yes. Right? They sampled Michael Jackson. They, 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 it was awesome. That they first their, album was great. They had their moments. They had their moment. Yeah. But if you ask anybody, if you ask an average person who grew up in the 90s and you give them 20 artists and you put SWV on it, they probably don't know who that is. Right. Right. That's why so, they made up for it with waterfalls. <laughs> right. See, that was cliche. So my point is, is that there are some nuggets in there that were really good and really outside the box to, to a degree. But overall, very cliche set list, unfortunately. All right, so let's talk about the voice acting in this. I mean, Pete Davidson, Mirage, Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal, Peter Dinklage as Scourge. I thought... Pete Davidson did an okay job mm. as Mirage. I, you didn't like it, Gover? No. Why not? Boy, that was a huge breath. That well, because started. I didn't think I'd be asked that question. I thought it would be just a... You had an opinion on it, so I'm going to ask I know, you. I th- no, I'm saying I thought it would be a note. We'll be like, yep, and then we'd move on. I didn't think it would actually come an answer. Frankly, I didn't mind. If, I, if, if, you're, if you're looking to form your thoughts for a second, I'll give you a break. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> Peter... You know, Pete Davidson, Peter Davidson. Like you, I'm trying, to, trying to be professional. Yes, that's right. Morning and Taco Bell. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> when P- Pete Davidson, you know, is playing that character, uh, I thought he was probably the second most important character in this movie to maybe Anthony Ramos is Noah. Uh, that's probably he, true. Yeah. He, he was the comic re- relief. Did it require much of him? Uh, he, he just played Pete Davidson in a robot costume, but. It was kind of likable, like compared to it, a lot of the movies. I thought it was likable, and and I say this because of I'm basing it on the previous comedy and Transformers movies where it's way too try hard. I felt like this was a little more natural in terms of this robot and the way he's saying instead of those those ball blasters that were in a previous yeah. movie where it's just straight up easy jokes all the time and it made you just roll your eyes here while it's not necessarily the best i feel like it timed better with pete davidson's wit and his delivery which just made it at least likable and that's all i think you have to aim for for something here is at least likable to where you're not rolling your eyes the jokes i thought hit a little better in this one again i'm comparing it to all the previous ones which were god awful the bar was the bar was very low so they didn't have much more to go to make it at least likable and like Okay, that joke was fine. Because the audience 
where I watched it, they loved Mirage. People were loving Mirage in the delivery of, of that character because they made him likable, but also you felt more connected to him, especially near the end when he was giving his life for Anthony Ramos' Noah as well, and then yeah. obviously surviving and finding a new way for Noah to be a part of it. So felt, I feel like people personally connected more <clears throat> to Pete Davidson's Mirage. I, I, absolutely, I absolutely believe that. He's the bridge between uh, maybe unrelatable robots and regular humans, he he was kind of that necessary uh, somewhere in between because he had so much personality. And because Bumblebee can't talk, right? That's that was that that was that fill in for that of actually being able to talk because Optimus Prime is this general leader who can't connect to humans yet. Right. Mirage has been around humans more. Uh, Jeremy, he was distracting to me. For Not because he's Pete Davidson, just the way whatever I, I like Pete Davidson. That he's kind hilarious of on SNL. He's you know he's yeah he's fine. So this is not a Pete Davidson bashing session, right? It's just that he, it was so dist- he he stole the show in a bad way. Okay, that's the best way to say it. I, I'd probably say about thirty percent less of dialogue. I think it probably would have been like yeah, perfect amount. Tone it down a bit. Thirty percent less would have made him a side character. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's meant to be a supporting actor in this. I know. Well, that's a bad choice, in my opinion. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was good. So less dialogue, more bashy bashy. <laughs> How about thirty percent less of both? <laughs> okay. How about that? That's so fair. the movie was just too long for you. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> also, dun, dun, dun. also about the voice acting. So a lot of it is really good. Obviously, I hear Optimus again. I've heard him since the '80s. It's great. Okay, Peter Cullen. Peter man. Cullen's the man. Right. right. When, matter of fact, when he dies, it's going to be sad. Even though there's been a lot of bad movies. Yeah, he's still he is Optimus Prime. Well, yeah. the, the way they're able to do AI now and replicate somebody's voice, I'm sure they have a bank. Of For sure. Where they ho- can make him say anything. And I hope they do. Forever. It's, it's, it's going to be sad. But my point about the, the acting, the voice acting, is that at the beginning of the movie, the opening scene, right, when they're on the, what are the Beastimals? What are they actually called? The Maximals. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. That, when, they're, when they're on the, their planet and they have to, and they get away and all that, right, the... Scourge, I guess it was Scourge. Now that I think about it, who's confronting the beast? You know, too. Yes, confronting the beast to get this key. I could. It was so cheesy and so amateur and so so cringy. I could, as I'm watching it. This is the opening scene of the film. This is not an hour in where I've kind of like developed an impression of how this film's going to go. Right. I'm coming in clean here. And I can see, my brain is filling it. I can see the script on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's just, listen, we have to get this key off the world. Otherwise, we are going to die. Do you hear me? Listen, this is serious. I mean, it's just like so how you would write a first draft. Okay. I was going to say, uh, ask an AI to write a script. Great and example. that's what you'd get. <laughs> yes. It was so bad. Have, have you watched the Transformers cartoons before? Oh, yeah. But in the 80s, as a kid... You don't care. My son, who's 11, is not reviewing this movie. I am. I'm going to see it as a money-paying adult. And I can tell you that if it's that bad, first scene, first impression is I can, my brain is filling in. I mean, I have, we're talking courier typeface, everything. It's on the screen. Scourge. Exterior. Blah, 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 planet. Listen, we need to get this. I mean, it's so awful. Important. It's, yeah, it is. I just laugh because I feel like they're going for the nostalgia angle there. 
Uh, maybe they did. Well, that's that's an that's artistic generous. choice. That's and generous. It's bad art. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, the length of this movie. Did uh, did this movie feel like it went by fast? Did it, did it drag for you? What's what's the deal? Well, since I, I'm bringing down this show already, I'll start and say that it was. <laughs> I love Gover. It was about ninety seven percent too long. So you needed to be five minutes. This movie did not need to be made. Period. Wow. I would say uh, if they had kept this movie to 90 minutes, um, they would have done a great service to the audience. Uh, There was an entire middle of the movie where I felt like I could have slept and just not done anything or left and went to the bathroom, got popcorn, maybe you know, grilled some brats and then came back into the movie 45 minutes later and I'd be fine. Um, unnecessarily long. Some of the battles on this podcast have been, in my opinion, better than the ones we saw in the film. Yeah! <laughs> so uh, let's get to our, our scores and what led to those scores. I guess I'll start uh, while I was watching this movie, uh, I was remembering a classic Simpsons episode mm-hmm. in which they were doing, I think, the Daytime Emmy Awards, and Krusty the Clown and Brooke Shields are at the podium, okay? <laughs> and and Krusty is doing, it does a terrible Blue Lagoon joke, and uh, then he says, and our first category, and he says, uh, the category is, you know, best Saturday morning cartoon. The entries are Action Figure Man, episode entitled, How to Buy Action Figure Man. <laughs> And I thought, oh, my God, you just nailed the Hasbro-verse, okay? Uh, this was, uh, I, that that just kept going through. I'm like, oh, my God, this is just, like, uh, made to sell toys and uh, to service the people who bought those toys when they were, I don't know, nine or ten years old, right? You know, so, that was the whole point of Saturday morning cartoons was to sell in the toys. 80s. Was that's why they were, those cartoons were created for the action figure. That's, that's 100% the reason for them to exist. Exactly. And, and that's why the toy company's logo shows up at the beginning of this mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did feel like this was just formulaic. Uh, you know, I, if you're there to see the robots just punch each other for several hours, uh, that's going to be great for you. For me, I needed something more. I know the general audience did not really care about the humans and their development. They just wanted to see robots punching each other. And I'm not one of those guys. I wanted a little more. Yeah, we got a little bit of character development with Optimus Prime. You know, he's like, I don't care about humans. And by the end, he's like, I kind of care about humans. So I'm just going to say this was uh, two and whatever hours. I won't get back. Uh, I really thought this was kind of a bunch of garbage. And I'm going to give it a three and a half. Okay. Bradford, why don't you go ahead and go and next? Paul okay. goes over the room. <clears throat> so, well, because we can contrast it with Bradford. See, that's I know. true. Okay. So, <laughs> maybe not. During the film, overall, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. I thought it was hilarious, the Wheeljack comment, when he comes up and they're asking him, why, why are you speaking with a Spanish accent? Dude, you can't just ask. Like, that. The, I thought that was funny right there. 
the action sequences. It has been brought up multiple times about how in other Transformers movies, we would see them in metropolitan areas and dealing with the landscape they were given, whether it's city buildings, things like that. Here was all like open, deserted land. So the battles didn't seem as intense because they're not crashing into buildings. They're not utilizing the landscape around them. So they, And they almost zoomed out a little bit more than they did with a Michael Bay movie. Where right. You're just seeing parts which, crunching. Which is okay. Other. It's a different take on it. And I mean, every other Transformers movies, it seemed like it was Chicago, it was New York, it was some other part of the world. It was East Egypt. I mean, there's so many yeah. different things. So that, I think, took away from the battle sequences because they're not dealing with the world around them as much. They're just dealing with a volcano yeah. that has turned into something. Not so, a whole lot of collateral damage. Right. And you're not dealing with that with the landscape around you. Um, dear God, I'm just glad it wasn't the last night or Age of Extinction. And to throw <laughs> out the Rotten Tomato scores for those two, <laughs> the last night is a 16%. <laughs> overall <laughs> age of extinction is an 18 percent bumblebee's a 91 percent that's how good bumblebee was when even critics were like that's a good movie so in my personal review on tiktok twitter wherever you go to watch my reviews i even said the critics are not going to enjoy this movie. They're going to make it rotten, but the general audience is going to like it. Before even going to Rotten Tomatoes, I just put that out there. Right now, tomato meters at 53%, which for a Transformers movie from the critics, ain't too bad <laughs> for a Transformers film, especially when you compare it to the other ones. But the yeah. audience score with over a 1,000 plus reviews from the audience is a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. On IMDb, overall with 7.3 thousand reviews, it's a 6.6. I think that is more fair than anything else when you compile all the reviews. This is made for the audiences. It's obviously not made to be critically acclaimed. We, I think we all know that and can agree sure. that it's not meant to be a critically acclaimed movie. It's meant to be boom, boom, action, yay, Transformers, nostalgia, make money. That's what this movie's for, but, which we didn't touch on, it's also potentially setting up a Hasbro-verse. Yes. Spoilers. When I didn't expect this, I know we've been teased this so long with leaks and everything about setting up potential Hasbroverse. So me, as a child of the 80s, when all of a sudden they throw out the whole G.I. Joe thing, and I'm like, what? Not just a reset of the Transformers universe of movies, but because they set this in the mid-90s, it's a reset of the G.I. Joe movies, which audience has been wanting a good G.I. Joe movie for a long time, because that is a, that's a property right there that you would think we'd have seen more <gasps> develop. untapped. It's so untapped. We're, we're seeing Barbie. We're seeing all these different ones. We're seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles continue on with a new animated film. Oh. But G.I. Joe hasn't necessarily been explored the way it possibly could be, and audiences overall haven't been as pleased with those, so the potential to reset the G.I. Joe universe with the potential Hasbro universe has me at least a little excited of, hey, maybe they're finally realizing what they could be doing with these properties to make at least audience pleasers. Yep. This movie overall was built to be an audience pleaser. I think audiences are going to overall enjoy it. They're going to like it because it's not as bad as the Michael Bay film ones. Me overall seeing the problems with this, but also seeing the potential that it does to please an audience, I give it a 6.5. All right. Okay. Jeremy K. Gover, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Seven movies in this series, two worth anything. Anthony Ramos was great. He gave it everything he had. It's too bad the movie failed him, like I kind of joked about mm. earlier. <clears throat> the special effects were great. Once again, really enjoyed them. It's the typical cookie cutter, in a sense, big action movie that has too many jump cuts to where you, can, you can't really notice the imperfections, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but that's a 
that's a problem throughout movies, not this one, right? Sure. So I don't count. I don't necessarily count off for that. The special effects when they're left on the screen, so your eye can, right? They don't look fake. It looks like they're really there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's major props for that. Too many production companies. I'm pretty sure that if I go back to the theater right now that I was sitting in, those production companies at the beginning of the film are still rolling. There were so many of them. <laughs> there were five people listed as screenwriters. Five. And I have two thoughts on this. One, between the five writers, not one thought, you know, this dialogue kind of sucks. And then the other thought is, clearly it has too many, because not a single clear thought between scenes was projected onto the screen. It was just a convoluted mess. No continuous vision through the movie. Just unreal. Yeah. Uh, case in point, what I said earlier about the there was this intern who didn't get any credit. She finally has an opportunity because she's on TV. So to the audience, she got credit. Obviously, she rose... Cream rose to the top, right? Yep. But there's no just payoff about that woman then answering to her or, right. you know, or begging for her forgiveness. I mean, anything like, hey, call me if you want to work together. Anything that would just redeem that. Story. Five seconds of screen time yeah. could have done that. And you've had enough in this movie to do that. So Yeah. 60 minutes interview, her like former boss is, is getting her coffee. That's all That's, right. That would have been funny. Yes. Yeah. So oh, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hate you, but not that much. I, <laughs> My main problem comes down to one example, okay? And the writing thing has to do with that. So first, there's a key. We're introduced to this key. Then the bad guys get the key all of a sudden, and it, it's been cut in half. We learn that it's been eventually cut in half yeah. after they get the key. You're like, okay. Then the bad guys get both halves, okay? <laughs> uh, then all of a sudden, there's a password, right? Out of nowhere. They're just creating things mid script with no continuity. At all through the whole two hours and twenty whatever breverage that it was, <laughs> there's no. It's just we're just going to develop a a, a a MacGuffin in the middle. Of, we we don't need to allude to it. It's just gonna. We're just going to come up with it, and we're going to be fine with that. Try not to think too hard. It is the laziest writing I've ever seen in a major studio release. Wow, it is horrible. In the end credits, there was a part that said the producers would like to thank our COVID compliance team, with whom we wouldn't have been able to make this movie. It's too bad the because then they're responsible. They are responsible for wasting everyone's time and money. That's at it's Gover time. It's Gover time on Twitter. This, this is the worst movie of the year. One point five. The worst movie 1. of the 5. year. Worst movie of the year. I. And I by the way, before I, I you sticking to this. Before I wrote that claim, I I went back and looked at you know the forty seven whatever the number is we've seen. Yeah, it is. Cocaine Bear was better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, plane. plane was better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not good. So, worst movie of the year: Transformers: Rise of the Beast. I hate to say it, I can't say that I wanted to come in liking it. I can't say that because again, I try to check my expectations at the door. Okay, I'm trying to come in clean, but I will say that I absolutely loved the first 2007 movie. I loved the first movie. It was the definition, in my opinion, of a summer blockbuster. It came out during the summer. It was a great popcorn movie. The special effects did not distract at all. They looked real. The robots looked real. By 10 minutes into robot action, my brain had already subscribed to, this is real. They shot this with real robots that transformed the car. It looks so good. Shia LaBeouf, while distracting at times, he played that character Extreme well, kind of like, and I'm not comparing him to, want to make sure it's very clear for this one right over here, I'm not comparing him to Mark <laughs> Hamill in A New Hope, because Mark Hamill was, like, he got that bad rap for, like, oh, he's just, you know, he's Luke Skywalker, he's kind of whiny, but the no character testy. was whiny, 
It wasn't Mark Hamill playing it that way. He played it that way because the character was this whiny kind of bratty kid that always wanted to be somewhere else. That's not Mark Hamill's fault. Right. Same thing with Shia LaBeouf. He played the character in the first Transformers movie to the point where he he was supposed to play it. This kind of and he still got the girl somehow. Yeah, awkward, stumbling kid that's trying to find yeah. his way and kind of look cool but not cool. Right? Yes, it's over the top, but that's how it was supposed to be done. My point of saying all this is the Bumblebee movie was, I mean, just tremendous. It's probably the best. Actually, it is the best of the Transformers entire saga. Absolutely. The first one is mm-hmm. the second best. Everything else is hot garbage. This met the hot garbage bar. So have you seen all the other Transformers movies? The only one I've missed is the moon one. Okay. Dark, Dark, the moon. Dark Side of that. the Moon. That's the Prank Floyd album. But you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That that's the only one I've missed. So, I've seen the rest of it. I don't care to look it up. I already I already know what I'm gonna <laughs> I already know what I'm gonna get from you on this though. But I thought he was gonna say I know what I'm gonna get you for Christmas. That's what I thought he was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get you this on Blu ray. I'm not spending that kind of money on you. <laughs> Eight dollars. <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> now we're getting the real score. Yeah. So but in comparison to the last night in Age of Extinction, are you putting this below them? It's equal. Whew, that's rough. I, I, I didn't it's have a show, real. so I wasn't rating, I wasn't scoring movies then, but I was grading them. Well, sure, as I fought, internally. As I fought on the pre-meetings of this, <laughs> and we're developing this podcast, I fought hard for you guys to buy into grading as opposed to scoring, and I graded movies back then, and they, all, they both got D-minuses. So this would be in roughly, I mean, it's 2.0, right? It's 2.0, 2.5. Yeah. That's a D minus. So you're putting two, this one below. No, I'm, right. But I'm saying I didn't, I wasn't, it was just more of a thought. I, I know. This is more of a, okay, what are my thoughts? Let's mm-hmm. go through some things that really do suck or really good. Let's go, let's kind of average that out and figure out what, this is a complete waste of time. I, Therefore, it's a 1.5. I just want to point out that typically Gover makes fun of people that are, <laughs> that's what he's being right now. I'm looking directly at the camera, so you can do whatever you want with this, Gover. And but stay out of my lane. That's my lane. <laughs> this is a union shop. If you want to if you want to go, <laughs> and have elbow patches on your jacket, you got to go through me. For the record, I only do that with art galleries, like art. <laughs> but movies, movies are, art. are art. I know, we've established that, but they're also Freedom. not. You don't go to the Frist in Nashville. Or the Smithsonian in D.C. The Guggenheim. To see, yeah, to see a movie. Transformers Rise of the Beast in particular. You uh, don't do that. Yeah. Don't think it's going to be showing there. No. Have you been to one of those places? Uh, one of them. Look <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is the Untitled Film Project podcast, and it's time for the big question. What was your favorite animated show? Growing up, Bradford, let's start with you. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, born in 1983. Mm-hmm. So, most of the memories of childhood cartoons are going to be coming from the late 80s and early 90s. Yep. So, throwing out ones like Thundercats, DuckTales, mm, Darkwing Duck, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. But I would say the ones that I probably remember the most and probably have a bigger connection to especially when I visit parks or things like that, would probably be Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Mm. Oh, Absolutely love that. Solid choice. Yeah. Love that so much. Even though I quote Darkwing Duck, I quote Tiny Toon Adventures all the time as well, I still feel like I have a better connection to Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Love that. Okay. Jimmy, what you got? So people have told me, oh, you're childish. And I said, no, I have childlike ways. <laughs> uh, so I want to give an honorable mention. I got to give credit to SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. So SpongeBob, when I was growing up, 
it would have been, that's my jam. Okay. I still quote SpongeBob episodes on the daily. One of the greatest cartoons. I just absolutely love it. The writing is fantastic. It's hilarious. But mine has got to be the original Scooby-Doo, which for the most part, almost every generation has grown up on. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, yes, I know it is the definition of a template show. Okay. So awesome. Right. They go, you know, there's a haunting somewhere. They go to investigate it. It's always, you know, we pull the monster's (laughs) mask off at the end and it's so-and-so who wanted to sell the ranch to a large corporation. (laughs) And I would have gotten away with it too, if it weren't for you meddling meddling kids. kids. Right. (laughs) But that was just like, there was so, so, so much comfort in that knowing like I'm not there to see something different. I'm really just going to enjoy this. And, you know, within this stupid little show, um, we have this variety of characters. Okay. You know, so we've got, uh, you know, the, the, the really hot teenage, you know, couple Mm -hmm. that might be a couple, you know, will they, won't they, you know, even before you even knew what that meant. (laughs) Right. Uh, you've got Velma who's just like, you know, really different. No, but not at the time though. She, no, she, she was not. I know. I know you just, I, I got where you were Nerds are now sexy. Yeah. Back in the day. And and and, and to me, they always were, but like, she's, she's the really smart one, right? She's the one who's like kind of the outlier. She's the one who is like common sense, figures things out really cool character uh and then you've got you know comic relief with you know scooby and shaggy and you know their love of snacks and food uh their probable enjoyment of you know marijuana uh that everybody knew and they alluded to but they never (laughs) you know really just put it out there you know so you got to have fun with those those characters and all the things you thought about them or you know they didn't necessarily show you those in any of the episodes but your mind could fill in the blanks and everybody did in their own way. And that's what made it so much fun. So I go with Scooby-Doo favorite Scooby-Doo shows. I'm not sure about the question. Then I'll answer it for you. The ones that Batman and Robin were in. Oh, guest I would, appearances. I would wait oh. for the theme song would change. And if the theme song changed at a certain point and Batman and Robin swooped in, I was, you could not pry me away from the TV. Uh, that, that was a uh, must-see programming. Phyllis Diller was obviously great, too, but they weren't in the, you didn't know right. when they were going to show the Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters, I remember. Yeah, but Batman and Robin changed the theme. And if yes. that one of those rolled, oh, man. You, you, Mom, said, I'll w- wait. You just got to wait. Yeah, you were seeing the All-Star game Yes, when that happened. Okay, so, Jim, I got to ask, can you do an impression of either Scooby-Doo or Shaggy? Not very well. Okay. Not very well. <laughs> that was Bradford's attempt at it. My favorite animated show growing up, without question, there's a lot of them, right? But Garfield and Friends. Garfield and Friends was not one I watched. So tell me why you loved it. So I was born in 1977, so the mid to late 80s. Garfield dropped on Saturday mornings. Yeah. I think it was at 9 a.m. where I was at, I think. But either way, like I dropped everything I was doing. Chores, breakfast, getting out of bed. <laughs> Whatever I was supposed to be doing, everything stopped for an hour because it was Garfield and Friends. So Garfield, I remember reading the books, right? Like the comic strip they put into books and they've sold them as volumes. Sure. I had all the volumes except I think the first one. 
it was just all the comics. It was all it was just in a sequence. And so you just read them as a story. You know, it was really, really cool. And I had all those. And so when they came out with the show, I was like, who are these U.S. anchors? I don't care about this part. Like, I want to see more Garfield. But then you realize that, oh, it's in the spirit of Garfield. The humor's the same. The characters are kind of cool. Right? Like, Sheldon's an egg that walks around. He's got a microwave in his shell. Like, he has a TV. Like, all these just really cool flight of fancy things yeah. that are Garfield just, in a, just delivered in a different way. Gotcha. And so I just, I loved it. Do, I love them. Do you like lasagna? I was just going to say, is there a lasagna stain on that I do love lasagna, book? but I will also say, I know what lasagna is, meaning I love lasagna because of Garfield. This has been the Untitled Film Project podcast. Uh, we've been talking about Transformers Rise of the Beast and also our favorite cartoons. If you look back into our catalog, we've probably talked about a movie that you have strong feelings about. You can check it out at untitledfilmprojectpod.com. Why'd right? you end that with a question mark? Because well, it's a brand new website. <laughs> yeah, I think he was in habit going to toss you to the socials, I think, is what was going to happen. And then yeah. you realize midstream, oh, we have a website now. Oh, I've committed. Where every, no, yes. no, I'm saying where everything is in one spot. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there you can see all the latest reviews that we do. But you can go back into our catalog and find the movies that you've uh, you've loved as classics that we reviewed or ones that came out in the last year. And, and I invite you to leave a comment on Gover's written reviews. <laughs> he wants to invite you to do a certain type of comment on my reviews but he, he does like want to invite you he would like you to do it in all caps <laughs> no please please don't boomer our comment section <laughs> uh, the website has my written reviews on it bradford and jim's short quick hits of re- spoiler free reviews and then of course you can view all of our episodes either on youtube or on spotify on the website as well so basically it's a one-stop shop for you untitled film project pod Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett.